When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. You are listening to Inside F1 with Joe Sayward on Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm the host and producer of Missed Apex Podcast, Richard Spanners Ready. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. And this is Inside F1. And this is Joe Sayward. Joe, welcome back to the shed. How's it been going? Uh, it's a bit, I'm a bit weary at the moment, to be honest. I've been driving a lot. I drove 800 miles yesterday um, because this COVID thing, you have, to, um, you have to be ahead of it as opposed to behind it. So I heard that Spain was closing or threatening to close provinces. And if they close province borders, you can't get out of it. So right. I thought I'm getting out of Spain fast because I was going to drive slowly across it, eat lots of paella and stuff like that. And I thought, no, that's a really bad idea. I'm just going to leave now. And so I drove from Portugal to France and uh, arrived here. I'm in Andai, which is on the border. I can see Spain from here. But I got across the border. So um, uh, and now I'm just relaxing for a day. And then I'm off to Imola. And it takes it's quite a long way from here to Imola still. Uh, yeah. Another 1,400 kilometers to do, to go. Oh, right. Okay. And uh, does that affect the rest of the F1 circus as well? Like if you're having to take these mad journeys to avoid risk, surely a convoy of motorhomes is facing similar problems? Yeah, I would. they, they probably are, but um, they will have set out. I mean, actually, the motorhomes, I watched them setting out when the race was on. The, uh, the driver motorhomes were leaving already because there were massive traffic jams getting into and out of Portimao, which if you think about it, it's insane in the middle of an endemic, pandemic, whatever it is we've got. Um, but there were these huge traffic jams, so everyone was leaving in the middle of the race. So all the big motorhomes that uh, Lewis and these people are living in um, were, were departing as well. So I don't know where all the trucks are, but I just felt it's better to, it's better to, to overreact before than get caught. 
Yeah. Um, and so basically, uh, I did the the sensible thing, which was not sensible because it adds a lot of mileage to my journey, but it was the nearest point I could reach. Yeah. Without staying in Spain another day. Oh, fair enough. I always like hearing about the logistics in the life of an F1 journalist, Joe, especially since we've we've not seen you for a while. You know, been up to much causing international social media storms and such like? No, nothing really. I've been keeping a low profile and um, enjoying my life and tweeting about life on the road. No, I'm actually very unusual because I'm probably, I'm not the only person who drives to the races. There are a couple of others, but um, on the particularly long haul down to Portugal, um, there were only two of us who drove. One was the photographer Laurent Charniot, a Frenchman who's based in Nice or somewhere like that. So um, he has slightly different uh, kilometre. I don't know what the English word for kilometrage is. Kilometrage in French. Are you trying to say mean? mileage, but in kilometrage? Yes, right. Correct. I would have yeah. just gone for kilometrage, but that's due to more ignorance than than skill. <laughs> <laughs> now, Joe, uh, pleased to have you back on uh, Inside F1 with Joe Saywood, because we, as a, a podcast, get to have a great look behind the scenes, less so this year, perhaps, uh, than previous years. But people will be asking or will be wondering uh, what my reaction was uh, to, to watch what we can call Joe Tweetgate. Um, so just for those people listening that are curious, um, we've spoken privately. And, you know, there are a few areas where you mentioned stuff and views on this show and on twitter where i've gone oh i i so strongly disagree with that that you know you know there's a potential for a side podcast moment here where i end up getting you know far too defensive or pushy on a topic but we've talked about it privately and i think it's fair to say we disagree very strongly on how lewis hamilton has approached his push for diversity in formula one i I don't i don't think that's necessarily true I, I don't have a problem with it, but what I was asking and what people twisted around and made different, uh, I was asking where the limit is. I'm not saying Lewis is doing this wrong. It's where is the limit? There has to be a limit. And the FIA duly defined the limit afterwards because they obviously felt the same way that I did, which is what can you actually do on the podium? You know, if he arrives there with with a cardboard sign saying something, is that acceptable? Is that is that right? So that's what I was asking. I wasn't saying it was wrong. The other thing I objected to, and this is, and we have discussed this as well, it's the, it's the what I call the black power salute, which is um, the fist, yeah. which means different things to different people. If you've been around um, in the 1970s, when that was being used by people called the Black Panthers, um, people like that, if you, don't, if you haven't ever heard of them, look them up on, on Google. And you'll find out what it is because the older generations, and I don't consider myself very old, by the way. Everyone's abusing me for being old. But <laughs> You're kind of old, Joe. I'm not old. I'm, I'm, I'm basically you're as old as you want to be. And I'm very young. And Lewis said it the other day. He said, I'm still 17 or I think I was 17 or 14. I can't remember. And that's the same for me. Anyway, whatever. That was, I didn't like that because it meant different things to me. Um, than it did to other people, which I hadn't sort of zeroed in on before. Fair, look, fair enough, Joe. But I think my my point to you, uh, which again we've we've discussed privately, was I did not did not feel like it was your place or my place or anyone else's place to tell Lewis Hamilton what that means to him. And everyone I've spoken to, uh, <laughs> trying to do a poll of all my black friends, have have said that that does not mean what you are expressing it to be. That it is a a symbol of peace and love and and freedom. How old are these people? 
Well, they're just they're just normal human beings, Joe. No, no, but no, no. It's very important. It's very important because it means different things to different generations. That's all I'm saying. Which I didn't I didn't appreciate at the time. Anyway, whatever. It is. It you know. It is. Um, that's my reading of the situation. And uh, I just I don't think I think that's a political gesture. And political gestures are not allowed in Formula One. Right. On podiums, we had a great big problem with the Turkish Grand Prix a few years ago uh, because they did something of a political nature. Um, and so that was the only thing I objected to. I have no problem with Lewis wanting to do his stuff, but there's a time and a place for where you do it. And so the question was, mm-hmm. is it acceptable to do it on the podium? And the FIA's answer to that was no, which is why Lewis now wears this face mask with the message on it as opposed to a T-shirt because they came up with a rule whereby your overalls have to be done up and you have to, you know, uh, you have to look like a racing driver as opposed to a mobile advert. Um, so he's kind of, he's got a way of going around it. Um, and everyone seems happy with that. But I was just asking the question, where's the limit? So I understand that people misconstrued it. Some of them misconstrued it deliberately, too. I, I don't was- think I, I'm the sort of person who's, who are my knives are not out for you, Joe. Like, definitely not. Like, I really like There are you. some people who do have sure, their no, knives sure. out for you. But as someone who really <laughs> likes and respects you, I have to say, even now, listening to you talk about it, I'm feeling like an, a rage <laughs> start to build up. Like, I so strongly disagree with the conclusions and the and the way you've come about and approached that. However, I don't believe it comes from like an evil place. I think we've just got to different conclusions. Um, so for anyone listening to the sound of my voice, I, I don't think it's up to anyone to tell Lewis Hamilton what symbols he can and can't do on the podium on a support is right to do that. But I think it illustrates the point, Joe, that we decided earlier, which was we had decided to definitely not talk about that on this platform and that this didn't need to be a platform for that. And I'm happy with that going forward, Joe. Because <laughs> I, can, I can feel myself going, I'm griffing the sides of the seat. You do know F1. No one knows F1 uh, media better than you, Joe Saywood. And I heard a delicious rumour that I so, so wanted to be true. I wanted it to be true so badly that I'm, I'm willing to ignore you when you tell me I'm wrong. Uh, but uh, I heard that, uh, Perez to Red Bull is all but done. That arrived in my inbox this morning. Hey, check this out. Perez to Red Bull, all but done. Portugal sealed Albon's fate. Uh, I don't think that that's true. Um, Boo. Because I think if they have the choice, they'd go for Hulkenberg anyway, as opposed to Perez. But uh, I agree that Albon, I'm not saying his fate is sealed, but he's definitely under pressure now. Uh, the performance in Portugal while understandable, was not very good. But there is an element as well in that, which one has to ask the question, why is it that everybody who gets into the second Red Bull, everybody who gets in the second Red Bull doesn't do very well? That, to me, is a reflection on the team, not on the drivers. Because look at Gasly. You put him back into another team, and he's he's fantastic. And he's won a race in a Toro Rosso. You know, I think if you put Albon back into a Toro Rosso, and certainly when he was in a Toro Rosso, he was, he was going really well. So I think we have to ask the question whether or not Red Bull is actually a one-car team. Um, and in terms of who's going to drive there next year, we'll have to wait and see. It really is not decided yet. Uh, in terms of Perez, I think you need to look at Williams. Uh, okay, look, we'll look at the Williams in a second. I just wanted to slightly challenge a couple of those points there because uh, really interesting. Firstly, you said it was reasonable what happened in Portugal, his performance. 
Um, when we hear that a lot with Albon performances, we hear, oh, it was the wrong strategy or the tyres didn't fire up or it was due to his qualifying position. I mean, we hear it an awful lot. And at some point you go, well, there's one common theme through all of that. And that's that's Alexander Albon. But was there a particular extenuating circumstance in Portugal? Not really, but everybody, a lot of everybody's rather were, were having. Tr- well, if you looked at the first lap of the race, you look at the people who who lit the tyres up and those who didn't. And if you look at Kimi, I mean, he went from 16th to 7th or 6th just because his tyres were heated up and other people didn't. Carlos Sainz led the race. Come on. You know, um, while it's nice and and, and it's jolly good for headlines, it's not a reaction that is um, to be expected. So some people were able to light up their tyres and some people weren't. And that's what we watched. Album was one of the ones who couldn't. So he dropped back and he dropped back a little bit further than most. Um, because of the way the the midfield is. Now, that's not excusing the fact he couldn't come back. But he couldn't come back. You know, it was as simple as that. He couldn't, it, it wasn't like he wasn't driving fast. Um, and he got a number of warnings for, for you know, getting yeah. a bit too close. He didn't get penalised in the end. But he was certainly pushing hard. So I don't think, you know, you can't say that he's not um, talented and you can't say that he's not trying very hard. I think he needs a good result to, for his own head um, as well. But th- there's an element that I think is worth mentioning here. And that is, and we've seen it this year with Ocon as well, is that young drivers who are relatively new to Formula One, uh, even if they're tough, and you know, they're all tough, actually mentally, or most of them are. When the, uh, the paddock was fully locked down, there were not people there to be their friends, to hold their hands, to talk to them. They were on their own with the team and Ah. they suffered. Now, if you look at Esteban, he started to improve against Daniel only in Mugello. And he, you know, and now in the last race, he actually ended up beating Daniel because he's got support now. And some people need that. Uh, A lot of people need that. Even the good ones need it. Support from who, Joe? Just mental support. It doesn't matter. Hmm? Well, you mean crowd or family? No, I mean, no, no, no. I mean, managers, I mean, ah, right. uh, confidants, everybody's got their mates even, you know, they have their little support group. And if the support group's not there or the right people aren't there, they, they, they begin to have doubts. They get negative cycles as opposed to positive cycles. These kind of things happen. And we have mm-hmm. to take that into account a little bit. It's not, it's not, it doesn't make them good, bad or anything else. It's just, they're not, fully developing what they could be doing. And I think that what Albon may need is to have some, you know, somebody in his ear. And I think that may be true. Of, uh, you know, Helmut Mark has an interesting way of managing people, which is, you know, um, you do it my way or not at all. But, you know, I would say that he's wasted more drivers than he's made with that. Because if you don't nurture the drivers at all, when they have tough moments and they can't deal with it, you blow them. You know, off they go. They're gone. They're done. They're finished. Mm. And and Gazzy's a very good example of that. Gazzy's flying along now. Um, he's flying along so much that there are rumours that he'll be out of Red Bull's scheme, which is inevitable anyway, fundamentally, after what's happened to him. He needs to go off somewhere else because they're never going to put him back in the main team. So I think, um, you know, you've got to remember that drivers are human beings as well. And, and that's something is remembered too, by the way. When, when you look at what drivers go through um, with social media, if they bother to read it even, they get abused left, right and centre. And it's tough being yeah. abused. It's tough mentally, 
even if you're a tough old bastard, it's <laughs> difficult. Even if you've done it for years, it's still difficult. And and I think people need to remember that when when they've got big Twitter accounts and they're sending hundreds of thousands of followers at people that they can't then turn around and preach kindness and, and mental health because people do underestimate what it is like. If I say, oh, someone called me a, a, a mongrel on, on Twitter a few days ago and you know my mother-in-law said, oh, well, just ignore it. You go, yeah, that's exactly what I would have said until I started getting quite a bit of uh, regular abuse online. It does have a profound effect on, on your mental health. And if you look at Valtteri Bottas, actually in his Instagram comments, responding back to individual critics, when he did that to whom it may concern, blah, blah, I thought he must be talking to like an old agent or a manager or something. He wasn't. He was talking to social media users. And, and that just shows you how much that side gets to drivers. Well, I've had, I've had far worse than mongrel. Um, I mean, really, really unpleasant stuff in the past uh, with my blog. Uh, one time, I remember, I won't go into details, but one time it was so nasty and so bad that people in Formula One came and said, we'll, we'll help you find out who did this and we'll get them banned from the internet. It was so bad. And so you have to take that into account. And, and you either say, I'm not interested in doing social media. I don't want to connect with these negative foul people uh, or you say i just have to accept it and live with them but drivers now i mean this generation more and more they are just on twitter having a conversation like if you go four or five years back it was rare that like alonso was something different he would go on there like if you tag alonso in something that he disagrees with he will go on his phone and tell you you're an idiot in no uncertain terms um and you've got carlos signs regularly posting obviously lando norris as well it's it's a lot more common so part of being a modern Formula One driver is is dealing with with social media and having that real public face. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I, I mean, the thing is that from where I sit, uh, you know, be, or, the other thing about social media is that everyone calls you know they keep abusing you, saying you're old and all the rest of it. You're, um, you you're know, pretty Fifty nine years old. That's I'm not old. I'm old of, for being on social media. Yes, kind of old. I accept that, and that's something. You know, and as I say to people, um, if you think this is old, you're going to get old really fast because time goes by at a great rate and you suddenly realize when you're 59 years yeah. old that it's not that old. And nowadays we all live to be 100 anyway, um, you know, if we're lucky. So 59 is not old. Anyway, you are as old as you want to be. Surely you've got like a, a, a son or daughter or a nephew or niece who can show you how to use Twitter because like, I don't think you're very good at it, Joe. I don't think you're very good <laughs> at the podging and the tweeting. I don't care what people um, yeah think about whether i can do it or not i do it okay so look second to a lesser or greater extent you know i agree i may not be very good at it but at least i'm trying and at least i'm giving people insights i don't need to do it i get nothing out of a twitter feed to be honest really what do i get people say i'll block you if i don't like what you say well please go ahead you know i don't honestly care what the number is i'm not driven by having to have got to have 7 million followers to be someone important. It doesn't bother me. It just, I was amazed when I found out how many followers I had originally when I started. I went, really? How did that happen? Well, I'm bothered. So follow me at Spanners Ready, the show <laughs> at Miss Apex F1. I want all the Twitter attention and stuff. Anyway, second seat at Red Bull. Second comment you made that I want to pick up on. You said, you know, maybe there's something fundamentally wrong with that second seat. If so, fairly new phenomenon. Daniel Ricciardo and Max Verstappen, they seem to be able to give each other a bit of a fight. Ricardo was able to give Sebastian yeah, Vettel a true. bit of a fight. But Danny Kvyat wasn't. Uh, Pierre Gasly wasn't. 
Um, it, you know, it, it's just curious that we've had three drivers in a row who couldn't hack it. Now, Daniel arrived, and to be fair also, Daniel was up against a Vettel who knew he was leaving. Um, so I'm not sure that he was fully motivated. I mean, if you look at Sebastian's performance that year, it was pretty poor. It's a bit like this year, to be honest, uh, with Ferrari. He knows he's going from Ferrari, and it's just, you know, it's almost embarrassing watching end. what's happening, yeah. isn't it? And it may be that there's a motivational thing going on there. I don't know. Um, but there is a there is a you have to ask the question, is it is it being run to the same level? I'm sure that I'm, I'm not I'm not criticizing the team and saying they're running, you know, um one more than the other, but a different crew and the levels of motivation. If you have Max Verstappen in one car, you're gonna have a bunch of people who really want Max to do well. And the others can easily get this dis, disheartened by what happened. And I think that's the other point to make, which is that it doesn't matter who you put into that seat. Again, Max Verstappen is special. We know that. Lewis Hamilton knows that more to the point. You know, Lewis Hamilton says it out loud that this guy's special and this is the guy, if anyone's going to beat my records, this is the guy who's going to do it. Um, and so, you know, we, we recognize in Max a very special talent. So, a special talent against a very special talent. Um, it's very tough to, to be that person. So if they do change um, and they want to have a, an older guy who's going to be less bothered about, you know, whether or not they can beat him, just as long as they're doing a decent job, not get, not get disheartened, all the rest of it. I think that Hulkenberg is probably the best bet because Perez went through this up and down thing at McLaren. Um, you know, he he had to survive that. He got dumped by McLaren. He's had a lot of um, negative things in his career. But I think from his point of view, going to Williams makes a lot of sense for a number of reasons, um, not least that they need some money from him. But the other one is it puts him in the Mercedes family. And that is that is the place to be. In Formula One, in the modern age, to be in the Mercedes family is a good place to be. So... If we look at if we take your your thesis and say how can we best test it, when we put Sergio Perez in that second Red Bull seat, is he consistent enough and enough of a known entity that if he doesn't do well, you really can't you you really are, are proving no there's something fundamentally wrong there. Oh, that would <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of ifs in that question. <laughs> well, is there or um, when? I don't. I just don't think it'll ever get tested that way. I don't think Perez is going to Red Bull. I, I might be wrong, but I have, you know, I, when I when I write things like Perez is going to Williams, I don't do it just sort of plucking it out of the sky like most people do. Okay. I actually have, I have sources of considerable um, believability, um, and I've got more than one of them usually, and I have in this case certainly. So um, I think if it's not a done deal, it's very close to being a done deal. Uh, and it makes sense. And that's the most important point, I think, is that people say, well, none of this makes sense, but you're looking at it from the wrong way. It's not about racing anymore. It's about the financial implications of COVID on the teams. Next year, all these teams are getting 50% of the revenues they had this year. That is a serious problem. And some of them cannot survive if they don't take on pay drivers. So it's not about um, well, he's better than him, and he's a he's an old wasting you know, wasteful pay driver. It's about how we're going to keep this team alive, keep the people employed, keep everything going. So 
everybody these days has to have a super license. In order to get a super license, you have to be pretty good. So even the pay drivers are good. So if, if Nikita Mazepin and Mick Schumacher happen to be at Haas next year, and the, both of them have money behind them, that's better than Grosjean and Magnussen, who cost the team money, both of them. So, you know, that keeps Haas in business. And that's what it's all about. That's what Williams taking Perez over Russell would be about. That's what, I know it's it's an unpopular thought and all the British will go, no, 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 you can't possibly take dear George out. But the fact is, there's a basic financial reality there. It's a big hole in a budgetary sheet and they have to fill it. Okay, but look, if you say then that the the equation there is we're losing uh, Grosjean, Magnussen, seasoned pros, both of them, however mean people want to be about Grosjean, and George Expen- Russell. Expensive season approach, what <laughs> sure. you're trying to say. Yeah, there. sure. Yeah, they cost money. Now they cost a lot of money. George they Russell. Cost, they, they cost like $12 million for those two. So you save, 20 million, you save $12 million just by not having that pair. I get it. I get it. And George Russell, though, who is seen as one of the biggest rising talents in Formula One in motorsport. And he's still got a Mercedes contract, which will put him in as a reserve driver at Mercedes next year and waiting for Bottas to move on. Yes, there's that. But not just, the end of the world. But look at the grid. You're losing those three guys we mentioned, and, and you're, you're gaining, gaining some a rookie, Mazepan. Who else is coming into the sport next year? We're, we're weakening y- the grid. Yuki Sonoda, probably. I would okay, think. another rookie. So we are significantly weakening the grid next year. And, and no, we're it, not weakening the grid by bringing in rookies. You're, you're weakening the, the, the number of guys who've been around for a long time and not achieved a great deal. These guys who are coming in might be good. How can we possibly say? I mean, there's a lot of people who give Mazepan a hard time. Let me tell you, Mazepan, he's a bit fiery. He's a bit emotional in the car. But you cannot tell me he's not quick. The fact his daddy's a billionaire is neither here nor there. You know, it helps him, obviously, but he is quick. Whether, whether, whether you like that or not, whether you like the fact his daddy's a billionaire, it doesn't. he's way quicker than Lance Stroll is, and Lance Stroll ain't bad. But I think Mazepin's a lot better than people think. I think he's probably better than Mick Schumacher. There you go. Well, that's a, that's a scandalous go. thing to say. I mean, Mick Schumacher is, after all, you know. Uh, all right. Mick Schumacher is the holy grail of Formula One at the moment because if you put Schumacher in a car, you'll get loads more people turning on, all the Germans with the old mullet hairdos and the, and the beer guts from Michael's days. Hi um, to all uh, our listeners in Germany. <laughs> Hi, guys. I'm sure you've all got no, great no, no. haircuts. I'm sorry, but if you look at – there is a very much a – uh, a class of German who became Formula One fans with Michael, who who gone away because Michael was, wasn't there anymore, and they will come back. They they weren't interested in in Sebastian Vettel or any of these other Germans um, who came after Michael. They were only interested in Michael. And he, he was a social phenomenon, and you know Mick Mick has that following behind him. So you know, I think from a Formula One point of view, from keeping Formula One high profile, having Mick Schumacher is important. But Mick Schumacher has also got to be able to deliver. I get that. But hand on heart, Joe, you know, this grid or the 2021 grid compared to 2009, like the the standard, which had been rising and rising and rising overall, it's not rising anymore. No, no, but hang on, hang on, hang on. There are super license rules now that didn't exist in 2000. I can't remember 2009, to be honest, who was in the grid or not. But if you go down the back end of it, I'm sure you'll find some fairly <laughs> useless individuals. Oh, OK. Actually, yeah. OK, no. Well, that's yeah, that's fair. All right, so, yeah, that's uh, fair. Uh, the point is that there are they have to get a super license. That is not an easy thing to do. So everybody who gets an F one super license is worthy of being in Formula One. I think that's I think that is fair. Even Lance Stroll, you know, even 
even the ones you'd say shouldn't be there, um, he's still good enough to be there. Now, I never said Lance Stroll shouldn't be there in his current form, but I, you know, I have said he's got chance after chance. I think what is just sticking in my craw is just the amount of drivers who got backing, not because of what they did, but because of who they are, and it's increasing. And we've only got 20 slots on the yes, grid. But, but the world economy is, is in a dive. You, you, money has to be found to pay for drivers who have no money. Mm. And you have to be realistic. And that's what's happening now. There is a dose of realism, which incidentally, the Formula One group hasn't had that dose of reason, realism yet because they're still talking about having a full calendar next year. They're off their heads. There will not be a full calendar next year. This pandemic has not gone away. It's getting worse. And it will go on being worse throughout the winter time. And we're not going to go to Australia next year. We're not going to go to Singapore. All the places that are funded by by people in grandstands. I mean, it's just madness. I mean, going to Portugal last week and having that many fans, I thought was 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 very, very bad thing to do for Formula One because I didn't see a lot of social distancing going on. I didn't see enough masks in the grandstands. I saw I saw a lot of people without them. Yeah. I saw traffic jams. I saw VIPs all over the place. I saw princes. What the hell were they doing there? These aren't essential people. Mm. These are people who are just, you know, Formula One is is trying to give the impression that all is normal. Well, I'm sorry, but the world is not normal. Believe me, I just drove 800 miles to prove it. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, this is obviously speculation, but if you're Formula One group, if you're Liberty, don't you need to, for as a going business concern with shareholders, don't you need to say next year's going to be fine and we're, here's the calendar, here's our plan A, even if you later amend it? Even if you suspect strongly, you will have yeah, to amend you, it. You, you, yeah, maybe you do. But, you know, shareholders are generally speaking not idiots. So, you know, a lot of them will say, well, hang on a minute, this is just a... And the share price will re- respond accordingly to, you know, what's happening. At the moment, it's just a holding its own, gradually edging upwards, probably because they've you know, managed to get a few spectators into races. But it's not healthy to do that because, you know, the number of cases related to Formula One is inevitably going to increase. The more people you shove in, the more inevitable that will become. Um, now, the question is how you define it essential. I mean, why on earth are motorhomes essential? Why are we adding all these people? Now, we don't need motorhomes. Oh, yes, I understand they like to have their comfy, uh, their, their comfy chairs and all the rest of this stuff, but they don't need them. And this is something that is completely bonkers because you're talking about 100 mm. trucks more. And each truck has to have at least three drivers because you can't do some of these trips without three. So you're adding an, you're adding 300 people straight away there who can all catch COVID and spread it around, you know. And there's a lot more going on too, let's be quite honest here. Um, the testing figures that come out, um, you can't blame them for this, but it's just a reality. Um, not everybody tests at the racetrack. Some people test before they go to the racetrack. Yeah. A lot of the teams do that. There's a new rule now known as the Lance Stroll rule because it was right. the Strolls who caused it to happen. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> um, but basically, once you get to a racetrack now, you have to test within 24 hours of arriving at the racetrack. So your original test prior to the thing, that's still there. But you've got to test again. Um, and that's because basically we can't afford to have people wandering around who don't test um, and who may or may not be spreading it in the paddock. What generally happens is when teams test away from Formula One, if anyone comes out positive, they don't get to go to the race. Mm. So they don't count as being testing positive. And there's been a lot of people like that. Ah, uh, okay, gotcha. 
there's been a lot of media people, but television people, rather more media. I can't think of any media ones, actually, mainly because we're a very small group now. But um, I don't think there have been any media ones at all. Uh, television, uh, the, the entire technical crew of Canal Plus, for example, had to be changed a couple of races ago because they'd all gone down with it. So, you know, but that didn't figure because they <laughs> yeah. were tested in Paris before they got here. Right. I see. So, you know, the numbers are fine. And I'm not saying they're, they're manipulating. They're not. They're just, they're, they're reporting what happens at the tracks. Is it true that for the rest of the season, Racing Point have got their own separate paddock miles away from the rest of the teams? <laughs> no. Something's going wrong there. That, I, don't, yeah. I, don't, I don't think it's, I don't think that's, uh, I think it's just misfortune to be honest. Fair but, enough. You do have to be very, very careful. And I've seen, I see more and more sort of I, bubble bursting, I suppose you call it. Mm. You know, originally all the teams, everybody stuck very closely to their own little gangs and they didn't mix with others. And well, I see more and more chain exchanges going on. Okay, with masks on, sometimes they're even a meter apart, but you see stuff and it, it, it you know, you're either going to do it properly or not going to do it at all, is my view. Um, and I think that because we've got through to October, starting in July, we've done, you know, we got through three months without too much uh, chaos and confusion. But I think it's getting harder now because the second wave is getting crazy out here. In, I don't know what's happening in England, but believe me, out here in Europe, it is crazy. It's not looking fantastic, Joe, in all honesty. It's not no. looking fantastic. But if, if you want to go to some racing that where social distancing will definitely be applied properly and where the venue will be cleaned uh, for an hour in between each event. There's still a few spaces left to come to round zero of Missed Apex. See how I did that, Joe? See how I segued in there? Fully that pro. Was, that, that was just a disgraceful... Uh, hang on, I haven't finished yet. I haven't finished yet. Uh, Buckmore Park, round zero of the Missed Apex Championship for next year. Uh, come along. Uh, it is four sessions, so three heats and a final. You wear your mask or you wear your helmet. It's uh, the only real sport out there where you can socially distance properly you know and you'd have to be going some really going some to make physical contact with another human being on the track uh but it'll be great fun november the 6th at uh, 1 p.m so bunk off work you're only working from home anyway you know you've got your auto reply on anyway um go to mistapexpodcast.com forward slash karting there we go joe and, and You're I'm assuming that on December the 6th, you'll be allowed out of your November house. November the 6th. Did I say December? Yeah. Oh, that's it. That's a, Thanks for the reminder. If your local government restrictions prevent you from attending or the event is cancelled, you'll get a full refund. There we go. That's in, good. The fullness, in the fullness of time, you mean? like? No, I've got better at doing it. Like, you know? like Grand Prix promoters who are calling <laughs> off races. You know, they hold on to the money for six months. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. 
What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Awesome. Should we get back to some... Oh, I wanted to ask you, what well, before we left um, Racing Point, I criticized Otmar, uh, Mr. Schaufnauer, um, at the weekend. Because he's got a bit of an impossible job. He is having to defend Lance Stroll and their decisions. They don't want to say, obviously, we let go of Sergio Perez because um, we want Lance to stay here because you know because he's Lance. So what it's done is it's sort of tainted a little bit in a lot of people's views what he said, especially when he pulled his um, when they said, "Oh, have you been speaking to Vettel?" Hang on, hang on, yeah. hang on, hang on. Who pays Otmar Zafnau's salary? Yeah, I know that. Okay, I so he's not Mar Saf now, stupid. <laughs> if he says, uh, well, Lance is no good. Um, I know he's the boss's son, <laughs> no, but he's rubbish. <laughs> yeah. uh, his salary doesn't get paid after no, that. That's he, true. Gets, you know, he gets a P45 and sent home to Detroit or wherever, you know. So uh, the fact of the matter is that he's actually just being clever. He's saying what he has to say. Sometimes you ju- in life, you've just got to do that. I'm not yeah. very good at it, believe me. But. Um, some people are better at it than me and you have to do it. And that's what it's like. It's like the drivers when they're going to, what you have to understand about press conferences. One of the big frustrations that I have is that the media now has access to press conferences and press conferences are virtually scripted these days. They say what they're told to say and no more. George Russell goes in, says, I've got a contract. I'm staying at Williams next year. Yes, George, but, and he was asked, yes, George, but about four times and he stuck to the story. That's Mm. what they do. You stick to the story but it's just not reality. And mm. that's, you know, the fact is that he should be worried. And if he's not worried, he's stupid. And I don't think he's stupid. So therefore, he must be worried. And I know he's worried anyway, because I talk to people in the background who know that he's worried about it. And he's not the only one who's worried. Nicholas Latifi's worried too, because mm. Nicholas Latifi may bring a pile of money. But if per- Perez is coming with a big pile yeah. of money as well, yeah. if you're Nicholas Latifi, you've got to be looking over your shoulder because Nicholas Latifi's not good enough. In, in the overall scheme of things, mm. you know, he hasn't come even close to matching George at any point, nor will he, I don't think. But the fact is that they need two pay drivers at Williams, not one. Right, so that you don't think it's possible that Perez is coming in for Latifi? Only if they can find another $10 million from somewhere. Mm. And how are they going to do that? Short of putting their hand in their own pocket? And, of course, rich people don't like doing that. They like other people to pay for it. You can't find a sponsor for love and the money these days. Mm. And basically, with the half the revenues for next year, you've got a big hole to fill. And that's what's happening. It's just a, re- it's a reflection of reality. So forget all the ideas about what's good racing term. It's a bit like the argument, Haas is going to have two rookies. They can't possibly be very good next year. Sure, they're not going to be very good. They, they'd be better if they had an experienced driver who mm-hmm. they all knew. But they can't. They can't afford to do that. So they take what they get and they survive. That's in the longer term. It's better to survive than to go out of business. All right. No, it's not very romantic, is it, Joe? They're not going to make it. It's not romantic, any... but it's, it's the realities. And we're in a world that is very full of very nasty realities. Whatever the equivalent of like rush is, you know, about the 2021 transfer market, I don't think it's going to be as glamorous as the 70s version, if I'm honest. It's going to be <laughs> writing checks. Dad, can I have Listen, a bit more money? Racing. 
motor racing throughout its entire history has been about writing checks. Why was it that at the beginning of racing, they were all barons and counts and viscounts? Um, and it was only in the 1920s that you started to get mechanics that people were willing to pay for, only because they were very fast. And those and the and the barons went, oh, he's faster than me, and I can't beat my mate over there um, unless I get someone who's faster. So he gets and his mate goes, yeah. well, he's got this. I need someone faster than his bloke, and so his mechanic can drive faster. So that's when the mechanics came in and took over and were the racing drivers. And it's the same; it hasn't really changed. You know, it, it's always been a, a, a level of money involved, and you just have to accept that. Motor racing is not a sport for poor people, unless you're picked up by a big company and jolly lucky. Fair enough, Joe. Uh, why don't we finish up having a, a little look at the um, the McLaren boys who looked so promising for for a few turns over in Portugal. There's a, an interesting thing going on in McLaren in general. I I kind of got a, a Mercedes 2013 vibe where there was clearly a very fast race car uh, under the bonnet. And I think in 2013, it was more stark because they were like qualifying on pole by like 0.7 and 0.8 seconds, but then disappearing back down the grid. It's almost like they've got this great machine that somehow they don't quite understand how to apply it throughout the race. But there's something there. I'm not mad, am I? There's something there. Uh, I think it's entirely tyre dependent, to be honest, at the moment. Getting your tyres switched on, not switched on. Um, And then, of course, there's Ferrari, which is all about engines. That's different. But um, what is remarkable at the moment is what uh, Charles Leclerc has been doing with that Ferrari at circuits where the power is not uh, defining things. Leclerc has been remarkable. His his qualifying lap in Portugal was spectacular. Um, But, yeah, McLaren, they're they're nearly there. The, The fact that they were at the front in the race is just entirely to do with they were on the right tyres at the right time and they were able to switch them on. And the minute things changed, they disappeared back down the field again. So. Granted, but that's been a theme of their season, starting strong and then going back down the field. So my little theory was, I mean, what was happening to Mercedes was they were being way too harsh on their tyres. They were switching them on ultra well. Could something similar be happening to McLaren? No. Okay. All right, <laughs> then, fair enough. In this particular case, no. I, I mean, if you look at... Uh, so much is tyre dependent, but if you look at what, what Lewis did, um, he was somehow able, I think because of the setup of the car and his own ability, he just suddenly was able to take off and leave Valtteri for dead. I mean, he just mm. went away. If you look at the numbers, it's shocking how dominant he was. And he won by a massive margin. It was a, it was the most um, dominant performance that I've seen for a long time in terms of, you know, he's just literally saying to his teammate, there you go, this is what I can really do. Now, even Lewis can't do it every time, but when everything comes together, and he's obviously clearly very, very good at getting the car how he likes it um, and knowing exactly how it will develop in a race, because you see it quite often, you know, he'll he'll battle with, um, with Valtteri and then he'll, as the tires get towards the end of their life, he will begin to extend the lead or close in, whatever. Um, and I think that's to do with his abilities as a setup uh, and abilities working with the engineers, understanding all the difficult stuff that they have to understand. And I think that, um, I mean, I think, I don't think that anyone should be um, dismissive of Lewis Hamilton. I think he's 
a truly remarkable racing driver. And we're watching him at his very finest at the moment. We should appreciate that. And all those people who just give him grief on the internet, just watch him and enjoy him yeah. because he's not going to be around forever. And, you know, when he's gone, we're going to be back in a, in a, in a world without him. And it won't be quite as exciting. I, I just, I think people assume anyone could do what Lewis Hamilton is doing in that car. Which is utter rubbish. I, I do often wonder what would the championship have looked like the last three years if you took away Hamilton and replaced him with a driver not as good as Bottas, so Bottas was the lead driver, I think the championships would look uh, quite different. It would probably have been more entertaining to watch because the the, mm. the fight at the front would have been better because Max Verstappen probably would have beaten them both on a number of occasions. Yeah. Quite a lot more occasions, yes. I think. So, But, you know, everything's relative. You know, if you have a really exceptional driver out on his own um, for a few years, uh, it, it's one because of him and two because the others aren't good enough. You know, you've got to, you've got to look at it both ways. So um, that's not to say they're rubbish because, you know, a driver is, is still to, to a great extent dependent on the car he's in. But you can still do good things with cars that aren't great. So, Well, Joe, you are near the coast, near the beach. We're going to uh, leave this place and go and get yourself a latte as the shore laps at your feet. Yeah, well, it's the, the clouds are particularly um, nice today. And although there's lots of people out there in the surf uh, wearing wetsuits, there are hundreds of people down here surfing. I can't believe it. It's the end of October. It, it's 15 degrees. It's cloudy. It was raining this morning. There's 200 people surfing. So there you are. Wow. Uh, I'm enjoying the Formula One races, not in the baking sun. I think we're getting, it seems to be getting better on track action with it being a bit cooler. Oh, maybe we should go to a winter series then. I'm game. I'm game. Snow chains, snow chains. Uh, good. Uh, Joe Sayward, you're still writing your green notebook. You're still doing all the same things as before. So search for Joe Bloggs F1 uh, to catch up with actually, all your don't, items. Don't at the no? moment because Joe oh. Bloggs F1 is, is actually directing nowhere at the moment. Oh, yeah. Because I've changed the location of the uh, blog. So, just, you know, uh, Joe, 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 do sorry. Google I'll, Joe say with that's the easiest way. I'll do, I'll do, I'll explain because you're, cause you're quite old. I'll explain. You, you know, when you're on the internet and then at yeah. the top, there's like a bar at the top where it says WW something. Do you want to just read that out for us, the top bit for us of yeah. where to go? No, because it's very long and complicated. It's WordPress at. Anyway, oh, fine. It's, it's a Joe say with WordPress or you'll find the blog. So. Brilliant. Well, in that but case, it will, it will yeah. be Joe Bloggs F1 once it's all the processes are done. But these internet um, service providers take months to do anything. Right. Well, Joe Sayward, thank you very much for your time. Hope to see you back in the shed shortly. Thanks very much, Joe, for taking us inside F1. Now, we've got an interview coming up in just a moment. But first of all, I wanted to point you to some exciting news in Mist Apex world. You know Bradley Philpot? He's on our panels. He, he yells at cats on the live stream. Yeah, that one. Our driver pro who does the masterclasses, who's helped so many of us get better at sim racing and karting and helped us understand what's going on with a driver when we see them make a mistake on track. Yeah, that guy. He is going to be making his BTCC debut. He's going to be in the British Touring Car Championships on November the 14th and 15th at Brands Hatch for the season finale. He'll be on the actual grid as a BTCC driver, and we could not be more thrilled. What I'd love to happen is if, as a community, 
we could show the motorsport world that Bradley Philpott has already a group of supporters who are willing him on, you know, and let's justify the decision to put him in the car by showing that he's got a wave behind him. So let's swarm our support to Brad by going to at Bradley Philpott or searching for Bradley Philpott on Facebook and retweeting, liking and commenting and sharing the announcement on his feed. You might think I've only got five followers and it doesn't help. It really, really does. Let's make our voice heard. Let's cheer as loud as we can uh, to get our Mr. Apex man higher up the grid. And with any luck, that can be the start and a launch pad to greater things. So good luck, Brad. Go show him what you can do. Now then, on to the interview. It's with Lindsay Orridge from the Motorsport Collective, and she is leading a project called Driven by Diversity. That project has a podcast, and I've been working with them in some of the early stages to get them up and running on their feet. And then I promptly got out of the way when I realized that they were already fantastic. Um, I caught up with Lindsay earlier today. I started off by asking her to explain what Driven by Diversity is all about. So yeah, Driven by Diversity is an alliance that I founded um, to try and effect change in the industry, motorsport and automotive as well, if crossover into that. Um, because I think it's it's an industry that sort of it moves slowly, as we all know. Um, we are, you know, really proud of what we do on track and how we make technological changes and shave off thousands of a second um, from cars. But we are pretty far behind when you look at other sports and other um, industries that sort of are similar to ours. Um, it went, especially when it comes to things like diversity and, and wanting to do something about that. And I think partly why I founded Driven by Diversity and pulled all these sort of amazing people together in my network to try and affect this change. We wanted to get the word out there. And the quickest and easiest way of doing that was to create a podcast. And we had the idea of creating one. And at the same time, Ariana Bravo and Steph Turner had also decided that they wanted to. Do, and we ended up being in contact. Um, Ariana uh, reached out to me. And we had a great chat and I just thought, she's fantastic. You're going to be fine. Let's do this. And we just said, great, how can we support you to make this happen? And um, like you say, you very kindly offered some tips to them and some help. And um, they've been exceptional. I absolutely love them. So, yeah, Ariana Bravo and uh, Steph Turner, they host our Driven by Diversity podcast. Well, tell me about what they're doing on the podcast then. So the idea is, is that... You and I both know that the same people get interviewed all the same all the time in this industry, Jackie and you could, probably, yeah. you could write a list of about twenty twenty five <laughs> names, yeah. and um, they're all the same people. And unfortunately, because this industry is dominated by mostly white guys, that means that the pool that you're fishing from is mostly white guys. So we wanted to make sure that there was an alternative um, sort of outlook there, and to show that there are other people in the industry who come from different backgrounds, whether that's uh, from a, a racial point of view, from an ethnicity point of view, from a gender point of view, right down to socioeconomic point of view, and that there is room in this industry for everybody and that we need to kind of promote the people as role models that are already here and also then help to inspire the next generation. Now, when it first started, you're, you're right, there is a, um, you know, there's certainly a perception that it's it's dominated by white men, particularly at the head of organisations. And yes, they, they roll out Jackie Stewart and Nico Rosberg for everything. Nico Rosberg was on Radio 4 this morning. Get off my Radio 4, Rosberg. Um, so I, I wondered, you know, what the, the depth of the, the guests lineup would be. But actually what it's done, it's opened, opened my eyes to the, you know, already 
the, the amount of BAME contributors, but they are spread thin across motorsport. They, they've done, done a great job of going and finding those people as well and highlighting what it is they're doing. Um, but actually, our first mutual connection, I believe, is the only black-owned, accredited publication in F1. So whilst there are the people out there, they really are spread across the whole of motorsport very thinly. Yeah. And I think that's the thing. There's, you know, sort of diversity in motorsport and automotive for years has basically been the industry pointing to people that look like me mm. um, and saying, well, we let women in. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah, thanks. Woo. Um, and that's not diversity. Just letting in the other gender. Like I am a specific you know, sort of middle class, come from a specific socioeconomic background, come from a specific area, like I grew up in Motorsport Valley. And that is not diversity. And it's also not being particularly inclusive, just sort of being like, well, you know, there's some women over there in the corner over there. We're only 5% of the industry. That's not that's not inclusion. It's really, really not. So we wanted to highlight the people that have got to where they've got to. There are some people who have achieved amazing things, but no one ever hears from them and no one ever points the sort of spotlight in their direction. And we really wanted to do that. So we've got people from stunt drivers. The episode that came out yesterday is an amazing um, girl called Bri Daniels. And she um, is this incredible stunt driver from America. Mm. She's Beyonce's body double for most of Beyonce's kind of no. videos. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's been in Black Panther, you know, sort of so many movies. And she is different looking because she's a black female stunt driver. But that's her like unique selling point because mm. there are only two or three people in the world who can do that job, like Naomi Schiff, you know, sort of, and again, another person who's been on our podcast. So there's, there are people out there who look different and all of them have different journeys into the industry. Not all of them have come in because they've been, you know, sort of through family connections or anything like that. And I think it's really just starting to build that sort of list of role models up so that people who look at the industry and only see the people Mm. who are consistently interviewed, consistently talked about and consistently put on a pedestal to show hey, this is success. It doesn't have to be a championship winning racing driver to be successful. You can, I've been in this industry for 20 years mm. and like I've had a perfectly great career and, you know, sort of worked my way to different positions and, and now run my own business. But that's not talked about very often. The entrepreneurial side of things is not really talked about. And you make a really great point there talking about um, the race weekend and uh, Magnus, our sort of mutual friend, um, who have just had their Kickstarter, Kickstarter funded yesterday mm-hmm. and it got fully funded and over the top as well. Oh, to I think we helped. Well, yeah. We helped. We take full yeah. credit. Oh, my God. <laughs> you definitely helped. You definitely helped. And, you know, we got on board with him straight away because if I was working for a brand right now and we wanted to do an amazing activation, that would be the exact sort of thing I'd be looking for. So these people have been banging on doors for years and years and years, which is not their fault because they've just not been introduced to the right people or they're mm. banging on the right doors and not answering. And sometimes it just takes an extra couple of people to say, oh, no, 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 this is great. You should look at this. And all of a sudden things happen and it's not that's massive oversimplification of this industry by believe me <laughs> it is, you require a lot of persistence and a lot of you know sort of patience to get things done but we really wanted to kind of bring to the fore all these people that were already doing these things and show that this isn't something that we've got to like wait 10 years to bring a new generation of people in there are already people out there doing amazing things it's just that it's not talked about uh, yeah, I think there's a perception with uh, positive discrimination that what we're doing is, you know, plucking someone from a banking job and saying, OK, well, now you're a presenter. Uh, now you're an F1 driver. It's not um, like I said, throughout the perhaps the maybe mostly the lower levels uh, these people with those skills, they do exist. 
uh, one analogy I, I tried to use on online, it's not, probably not the best one in the world, is, you know, we all are climbing a mountain. If you start two thirds of the way up that mountain, you're still working blimmin' hard, you know. And when you get to the top of that mountain and they say, hey, but what about, you know, those people who started at the bottom? And they go, well, they're only halfway up. But they must not have worked as hard as I did. And when you look around and all you and all your friends have worked hard, it can be quite jarring for uh, people to say, no, that doesn't count for anything. We're now going to replace you with this guy who, as far as you can see, he was at the bottom of the mountain. It seems unfair. Are you coming up against a lot of that kind of resistance? Yeah, I think people on the whole are really open to it and just want to hear more stories from people. Um, so, you know, the podcast does that really effectively. We've got lots of other projects that we're collaborating with, you know, so we've been working with F1 all year on the We Races One um, campaign and different oh. ideas we can do to activate with them. And, you know, there's some really, really interesting stuff coming up about that. Okay, so the We Race has won. Very easy to dismiss dismiss that as, oh, it's a hashtag and a rainbow. Cheers. Uh, the fear would be that nothing substantial would happen. Do yeah. you get the feeling that that, that has some substance and, and some actual grunt behind it? Yes. And I think the, the problem that they've got is that they've got uh, a really difficult year this year. They've had all of the COVID things thrown at them, which went really, really well. And then all of a sudden, quite a few people ended up getting it, which was inevitable mm. and they want to make sure that the messaging is keeping you know, consistent and that they're not deviating from what is a really important thing because they have a responsibility to ensure that they're taking that seriously but I've seen their plans from the beginning I've seen the evolution of them right through this entire year so I think people will start to see some of the things that are coming out in the next few days and a lot of them are projects where we've pointed them in the direction of people who are already doing the things that they want to achieve Brilliant. and they've suddenly gone oh great because I think I think initially it was like an enormous mountain for them to need to climb mm. and they sort of had a day job to do and they also had you know a covid pandemic to deal with and all of a sudden it coincided with the first races that have you know happened in the year so i think it's i know that they needed to get announcements out to say that they wanted to do things and it probably has you know in in the eyes of um most people who are watching maybe taken a little bit too long to maybe come out with some of those things yeah they're well aware of that and they know that they need to kind of announce some things so yeah there are definitely some things that are coming out in the next few weeks that i think people will be really interested in and it's it's across the spectrum it really really is there's you know sort of the nice fancy things the nice kind of exciting things but there's also the really cold hard great solid foundations for the next 10 years that will help to um improve this industry it's um it's such a comment on society the 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 the, um, the details you've just laid out there so often you hear people going well we would love to do more about diversity we'd love to change things but where where are they I'm look I can't see them where are they and you've just gone well they're there they're look, literally there just, do you want us to give you their phone numbers yeah just <laughs> no just move that rich person to the side there behind there down there in the bleachers yeah but I think that's exactly it and I think this that's what becomes you know we're we're all we're all slaves to what we see in the media and what content is out there and also what you choose to you know sort of engage with as well mm. and I think one of the consistent things that people have said to us who maybe are you know kind of from a more traditional background or who maybe feel very aware that they're not very educated on something like this and they don't feel that they have the education or the knowledge or the experience to be able to sort of talk about maybe what it is like to be different in this industry they are suddenly like they have the language that mm. they can use because they hear people talking about things and they see that there's a, a very very wide-ranging group of people in our alliance who are talking about these things and it isn't just we're not just you know sort of sectioning off 
well, this is only for, you know, black people to talk about this, or this is only for people who, you know, sort of from a lower socioeconomic background to talk about this. We're all talking about it and we can all learn from that and then find that language and find those words to then be able to kind of add that to our own discussions and, um, you know, take it into the office and say, do you know what, guys, I know we're looking for a presenter for this video. Well, why don't we try someone new? Why why do we always use the same person? Great, there's nothing wrong with them, but why don't we give an opportunity to someone to do something different? And that's starting to kind of seep in now. And it was always going to take a while Hmm. going through this year. But, you know, even just this weekend, Ariana got invited to go to the F1 um, broadcasting sort of over the weekend. And she spent the whole weekend with the broadcast team and hung out with them. And, you know, there's things afoot and, you know, people are noticing and it's it's getting in the right direction. No, this is terrible news. I regret (laughs) helping them now. That's another that's another one above me in the pecking order. That's all right. I'm, I'm a fair way down. I, I curse Your her. Your also on the list, don't you? <laughs> but um, uh, but yeah, Lewis Hamilton, a massive figure, massive world superstar, went all in on, on using his platform to push for diversity in motorsport. And um, it's, it's interesting to wonder what the FIA response might have been without Lewis Hamilton. It would be unfair to say it would have been lesser. So we have to assume that they would have done. But, you know, in reality, Lewis Hamilton has, has used his, his massive pressure to, to give people a, ma- a big nudge. You know, how, how, how pivotal do you think what Lewis Hamilton has done uh, in, in this campaign is? I think it's enormous and I don't think it can be underestimated. And I think it's, it's easy to kind of knock someone who's at the top of their game because you sort of think, well, you're not an everyman anymore mm. and you haven't been for a long time. But... If you have a platform, you should use it for good. And yes, you are still an entertainer and a sportsman and doing all these sorts of things. And people want to come and watch F1 or their chosen sport to escape from the, you know, the daily sort of strains of life. And there's, you know, not much to be joyful about at the moment. So I can understand why maybe some people were cross that he was using that platform and doing it in a way that was very, you know, in your face. But that's what is needed. And I think it's the FIA, like all of these huge organizations and F1 would admit this as well, that they are a big, slow moving beast and they take (laughs) years to change because they've got structures in place that don't allow for quick changes because they budget things and plan things two, three years ahead. And it might take a shift of somebody like Lewis standing up and saying, this isn't good enough. And I've got the ability to do that because I'm not, you know, coming in dead last every round. I'm, I am, as we've (laughs) seen, you know, (laughs) yeah. pretty good at this job um so right. people might actually yeah. take it seriously and and want to do something about it so I, I've worked with Lewis for a long time and um I know who he is behind the scenes as well as in front of the camera and he is genuinely wanting to see change he is not doing it to further his own you know sort of fluff his own ego he's doing it because he's not been able to or not felt comfortable to talk about these things for a long long time and all of a sudden the world's talking about it so that's his opportunity to do so hmm interesting concept using your platform for the betterment of society that's not what i'm about i want you to like and subscribe my platform here make sure you comment in the in the in the (laughs) comment section below and uh, and give it a like give every video a like and tell your friends about it too uh right will you do me a favor there will be some people listening to this who will be going, why Why are you wasting my time with this stuff? It's not room racing cars. It's not tyre analysis. Well, okay, I'm sorry, guys. But look, what I've done is I've put this kind of chat at the end of a regular episode. So, you know what? If you're really fed up of it, you can just stop it at that point and not tune in. I will continue to be interested in this topic and the FIA and Lewis Hamilton's drive towards diversity. I think that's the, the way that this society 
will, will benefit as well. You know, a fair society is a better society for everyone. Um, and, and yell at me. Yell at me all you want. Call me a snowflake. Call me a left wing pudding pop. Whatever the terminology is, uh, we're going to keep doing this. And as part of that, Lindsay, I hope that when these FIA um, events and, and drives come out, that you'll pop back on and, and give us a little update on them. Yeah, I would love to. Okay. So um, where to find you, though, is by going to your YouTube channel, Original, <laughs> which I'm going to link to. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> you can say no all you want, but the link is in the in the the, the, the show notes. So go and check out Lindsay there. Um, I'll where, scramble to quickly take it down now. <laughs> <laughs> where you actually did your uh, racing license. You have a racing license or at least had one. Yeah. Why? Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, good question. Do you know what? I, it was one of those things. It was a, it was a number of things. I wanted to, um, this was, you know, sort of eight, nine years ago now. And I wanted to just learn some more editing techniques and some other things because of the work that I was doing. I was at Ford at the time, at Ford Motorsport. I made myself a little task of, I'm going to get my race license, but I'm also going to film it. I did it at Silverstone, which is where I had my first job back yeah. in the day, 2001. I was the press officer there with Claire Williams. And um, I decided, right, yeah, this will be a nice way of learning it. And then I ended up uploading it to uh, YouTube. Silverstone then used it for race licenses because there weren't any kind of, there was no content at that time around what it was like to get your race license. So, yeah, <laughs> that was um, a fun kind of few days of, uh, of shooting that. And <laughs> Well, you buried the lead and your internet just slightly wobbled out. But did you just say you were what for Claire? Williams oh I my first like job really was working at the press office at Silverstone and when Claire Williams was still there ah. uh, because yeah no other team would um take her on obviously and that was yeah like the 2001 Grand Prix the one where Bernie couldn't land his helicopter in the right helicopter um, drop zone and <laughs> complained about it and uh yeah all hell broke loose oh. so um that was yeah that was my first foray into motorsport and sort of 20 years later I'm still still here so well, I'm hanging ass- on I'm gonna go ahead and assume that you don't hate Claire Williams and she wasn't the worst boss in the world um and- we had so much fun <laughs> <laughs> and, and things I don't think we saw that side of her really as a, a team principal slash deputy team principal um, obviously ultimately disappointing but she had a, a good run in F1 she was a, a big personality in the sport um so yeah you must have been cheering her on yeah I think it's you know it's always good to have another representative of a minority or whatever that minority is in any sport where it's just not the done thing or not really kind of, <laughs> yeah. you know, common to see that. So I think, yeah, more power to her elbow, but um, yeah, I mean, I suppose it was kind of going that way for a while. And um, there's been a lot going on, I think in the background, um, some of the things that I've been aware of that, yeah, it's kind of been heading in that direction for a, a while. So. Oh, right. Okay. Well, that sounds like, what were, what were all those things that the ones that uh, you were t- alluding to shyly, what were they all? <laughs> no, no. I think you know. You've seen the performance on track has gone yeah. down, and I, I have friends who've worked there for years and years and years, and it's just been it's been a slog. Like, and it is, and I think that's the reality of this industry that a lot of people don't ever want to talk about is that it is really, really hard work. It doesn't look like hard work because most people who are sitting at home and maybe doing a job that they don't really like during the week sit down and watch that on TV and think, oh yeah, that looks really difficult. Yeah, I'm sure it's really hard, but. It is. It's a lot of blood, sweat and tears. And, you know, regardless of your gender or background, yeah. it is a difficult thing to do. So, you know, she was she was starting further down the mountain. Yeah, well, we we openly pride ourselves here at Miss Apex podcast on like sitting on the sofa and uneducatedly like slagging off high end professionals while eating what's it's. Um, so we, we give ourselves that license to do that. And we go, oh, he was rubbish there in that corner. I'd have done way better. Um, but yeah, of course, Claire Williams did get a bit of criticism because her team ultimately wasn't doing well. And from a fan point of view, that's how you're going to judge it on results. Um, yeah. 
But, you know, from a more insider point of view, do you feel she got the perception was a little unfair? Um, no, I think I think maybe people could have given her a bit more of a chance. But yeah, it's results. No one comes into this and, and does it so that they can come dead last or that they can poot around and be two seconds off the pace. That's not why anybody does this. And it's a real shame when it those things do happen and that the you know the people behind the scenes are doing their absolute best and like I say got really good friends who've worked with Williams and worked for Williams for years and they're all good people all doing their best in you know sort of difficult circumstances and that is the reality of it I've worked at as teams before like when I was at Ford and I was on the World Rally Championship we lost every round to Citroen <laughs> because Sebastian Loeb was just the best and you, no one's doing anything wrong the car was as good as it could be and the drivers were as good as they could be and that's life that's racing so I think it's it's so difficult in those situations to kind of think what is the point like to keep going but the fact that they kept going and kept going I think you know it'd be really interesting to see what the new owners come in and do and and how they kind of tackle that head on and I know that they're um you know sort of hiring different people here and there at the moment and hopefully the Williams name will live on and yeah back to where it should be brilliant Lindsay Orridge the Motorsport Collective driven by diversity not to diversity as i said earlier uh go and check out uh, their work over at the driven by diversity podcast Lindsay, thank you so much for dropping into the shed and thank you for your time you're welcome you've been listening to missed apex podcast follow the show at missed apex f1 follow me i'm the best one at spanners ready you can support us on patreon at patreon.com forward slash mr apex we'll see you for the race review we're going back to imola until then work hard be kind and have fun. This was Missed Apex.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.